You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey, if you've got your Bibles on you, crank them open to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two is where we're gonna be today. As Danielle said, uh, my name is Luke Proctor and I get to serve just down the road as one of the ministers at Plainfield Christian Church. And I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Been looking forward to this ever since Matt asked me. Although I'll just be completely honest with you this morning. We'll be honest with each other today. I'm tired this morning. Anybody else feeling tired right now? Oh, my, okay, I'm the only one. Great, thanks for hanging me out to dry. I appreciate that. Man, uh, I'm tired, like last night, I had a dream that I died. It was, it was just very odd. And so in my dream, I died and I'm like, I was walking up this long stairway to heaven in my dream. And I'm, so I'm, I'm walking the stairs, I'm doing the stairs. And I might've been able to do that in high school. As you saw, I'm a dad of three boys now. I got the dad bod thing going on. So I'm kind of like chugging up these stairs and I'm huffing and puffing. I'm running out of breath. And so finally I get like halfway up this staircase to heaven and I'm out of breath. Like I just, I just can't do it anymore. And, and so in my dream, I, I stop there on the stairway and I'm huffing and puffing, trying to like regather myself. When all of a sudden I hear this commotion behind me and I turn around in my dream and there, chugging up the stairs behind me is Matt Nickerson. <laughs> and I guess he's like miraculously healed from the surgery, the whole nine yards, right? And, uh, and so in my dream, I said, whoa, 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 Matt, Matt, hey, hey, it's me, Luke. And, you know, Matt, he's like, hey, Luke, what's going on? I said, man, like, dude, like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. I'm just out of breath, I'm out of shape. Like, I don't think I can make it all the way up there. And you guys, you guys know Matt, right? Like, not the biggest guy, but he's got the biggest heart, you know? And so he said, you know what, Luke, no problem. How about you just hop on my back and I'll carry you all the way up to heaven? And it, you know, it's in my dream. And so I'm like, sure, man. And so I, I hop on Matt's back and lo and behold, he carries me all the way up this staircase to heaven. We get all the way up to the top of the stairs. St. Peter throws open the pearly gates and he says, hey, Luke, welcome to heaven. Come on in. You can park your donkey over there. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get one in, guys. I had to get one in. <laughs> now, we can laugh about that this morning, though, because we know the truth, don't we? I hope you all know, Kingsway, what an honor it is to get to be led by that man. Matt Nickerson is a dear, dear friend, and he's a man after God's own heart. Absolutely, yeah. And... Uh, we have just loved getting to know the team here and some of the elders here. You all are richly, richly blessed as a church to get to be led by a crew like this. And from Plainfield Christian Church, we are in you guys' corner. We are so pumped about what God is doing here at Kingsway as you guys continue on your mission to become more like Jesus and as we work together to shine the light of the gospel here in Hendricks County. We love you guys. I hope you know that. Um, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> You know, the, the ancient Irish Christians used to talk about this concept called thin places. They used to talk about how there's these, there's these places, there's these moments in life, these thin places where it seems like the supernatural world and the natural world meet. They, they almost overlap, where, where heaven and earth almost touch. Maybe you've experienced a thin place before. I don't know what it's like for you, but I remember for me, November 4th, 2017. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, was nine months pregnant with our very first little baby, and it was a early Saturday morning. I was at the church building for a meeting when all of a sudden I got the call. 
And on the other end of the line, it's my wife, Rebecca, who's great with child, and she just says, it's time. And so I ran out of the church, and I ran to my car, and I ran a red light on the way home, and we threw all our stuff together, and, and, and we, we, we got in the car, and we sped all the way to Hendricks County Regional Hospital, and we got in there, and we got situated in the room, and we got down to the business of having our very first baby. And by that, I mean she got down to the business of having our very first baby. It's hard work. You ladies know this. That's why they call it labor, right? But after a very long day at 8.32 p.m., Judah Matthew Proctor was born. And I can remember seeing my son for the first time and thinking, hey, he looks like me. <laughs> the doctor said, that's his bottom. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I, can remember, I can remember the doctor lifting him up and you know, cleaning him off because he's all slimy and purple and wrinkly. And I'm thinking, man, that looks like a prune. But, but that is the most beautiful little baby boy prune I have ever seen. And they wrap him up and they put the little hat on him. And then I got to hold my son. 10 little fingers, 10 little toes. Those big blue eyes peering up after, under that stocking cap. The scent of heaven still fresh on his skin. And I remember thinking, man, if this is not divine handiwork, then I don't know what is. Don't tell me there's not a God. And that delivery room became a thin place. Maybe you've been to a thin place before. I don't know what it was for your life. You know, you, you watch a breathtaking sunset or your mom is healed from cancer or you catch your first glimpse of the ocean or money that you needed comes in at just the right time, the exact right amount in a circumstance, a coincidence that you can't explain. And it's a moment where the natural world and the supernatural world seem to almost touch. I think God is here. It's a thin place. And for many of you, this very building has been a thin place for you. This has been a place where you get to come and you get to encounter God week in and week out. Maybe this is the place where you got married or where you celebrated the life of a loved one that you've lost. Maybe this is a place where you came and you encountered the grace of Jesus for the very first time. My hope for you is that Kingsway Christian Church continues to be a thin place for you where you get to come week in and week out and partner with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you get to meet God here. And that's my hope for today. You know, the only reason that Matt and I have the audacity to stand up week in and week out and to do this thing called preaching is that we believe God actually speaks. We believe that God means what he says in Isaiah chapter 55 when the Lord says, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I have sent it. And so I believe with all my heart that if you are here today and you have ears to hear, that God will whisper to you through his word, through his spirit, through his people that maybe, just maybe, today can be a thin place.
as we walk through Luke chapter two together. We're not gonna do anything very fancy. We're just gonna let the text speak today. We'll pause along the way to bring it from first century Jerusalem to 21st century Avon, Indiana, and maybe, just maybe, this will be a thin place for you. But before we dive into Luke chapter two, let me set the scene for you a little bit, give you some context. Y'all are in this series talking about the, the promise of the king who was to come at Christmas, walking through the gospel of Luke here as a church, and you've been in it for three weeks now. In the first two chapters, you've seen the miraculous birth of John. John the Baptist, then an angel shows up to a teenage girl named Mary and says, there's gonna be another miraculous birth. And I laughed out loud when Darren said last week, didn't you? God entrusted the future of the world to a teenager. <laughs> Let that settle in for a minute. Oh, but there's, there's more to come. And I'll try not to spoil next week's sermon, but of course, you know, the second miraculous birth to come is Jesus himself. But here, actually, in my text for the day, in Luke chapter two, verse 22, we're gonna pick it up after Jesus has already been born. Mary and Joseph have Jesus, and they take the baby Jesus to the temple. Now, in the Jewish mindset, the temple was the thin place where heaven and earth meet, and they have an encounter with the word of God here at the temple, and we're going to ask two key questions today of this text in Luke chapter two, two really simple questions that'll shape the message today, and I want these to be two questions you can take home too as you spend your time in God's word that you can ask of every single text, and maybe it can be a thin place for you as you enter God's word, but as we go to God's word together, would you first join me in a moment of prayer? Our Father in heaven, you're here. We believe that. So speak, Lord, through your word, through your spirit, through your people. Give us eyes to see your glory, ears to hear your voice. Give us mouths to speak your truth and a heart to be your home. Give us hands to do your work, knees to bow before you, and feet to follow you all the days of our life. And it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen, amen. Luke chapter two, we're gonna ask two questions together of the text today. Here is question number one. What does this text tell us about Jesus? What does this text tell us about Jesus? Luke chapter two, verse 22, Luke writes this. He says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So remember our question. We're gonna look at this and we're gonna ask, what does this text tell us about Jesus? Now we see here that Mary and Joseph are kind of engaging in some rituals that God commanded of his people, the Jews, when they would give birth to a child. And so the first thing this text tells us about Jesus is that Jesus came in poverty. Jesus came in poverty. Now you have to look a little below the surface to know that. If you knew your Old Testament, you might remember that in the book of Leviticus, God had told his people when they have a baby to come and sacrifice a lamb at the temple. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, that's okay, he said. You could do a dove or a pigeon instead. And what we just read says Mary and Joseph were sacrificing a dove or a pigeon. Jesus grew up poor. Do you notice the irony here? that Mary and Joseph are raising the lamb of God, but they couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice. Scripture tells us that throughout his life on earth, Jesus lived a life of poverty. He says he had no place to lay his head. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Paul says this. He says that though he was rich, yet for whose sake? For your sake, he became poor 
so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus lived a life of material poverty so that we could live a life of spiritual wealth. Behold the love of God. Jesus came in poverty. Here's the second thing this text tells us about Jesus, though. It says that, yes, Jesus came in poverty. Jesus also came to keep the law. Now, those of you who have kids in the room, you might remember the experience of getting ready to have your firstborn, the first time you had a kid. And if you're anything like us, you know, you had the baby room prepped like six months in advance. You'd read all the books, been to all the seminars, like practiced all the breathing exercises before you go in. You go, you have the baby, you're on a strict sleeping schedule. You're like measuring everything by the ounce about how much they're eating and all that. You know, the kid doesn't eat sugar for the first three years of their life. They don't see a television screen till they're 14. You know, like all, all those kinds of things. And then you have kid number two, and a few things kind of start to slide. Then you have kid number three, <laughs> and you're like, honey, we're out of milk. Do babies drink Pepsi? Like, <laughs> you guys know this, right? This is how it goes. And, and, and Mary and Joseph, we just saw, like they are doing everything by the book as they're raising Jesus. They're following the law, crossing every T, dotting every I, but it's not just because Jesus was their firstborn. It's because Jesus came to keep the law. Here's what I mean by that. Galatians chapter four, Paul says it like this. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, who was born of a woman, Mary, born under the law as a good Jew to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came to keep the law, to fulfill all the laws of God. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, the only one to ever do so. Any perfect people in the house today? I don't know about you, I keep trying to have a perfect day and I've not had one yet. <laughs> Jesus came to keep the law on our behalf. Behold the love of God. So what does this text tell us about Jesus? It says that Jesus came in poverty. Jesus came to keep the law. Here's the third thing. It says that Jesus came to fulfill a promise. Jesus came to fulfill a promise. Let's keep reading here in Luke chapter two. It says this, starting in verse 25. Luke says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared, in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now to fully understand this promise that Jesus kept, you have to rewind way back to the very beginning. God made everything. He said, it is good. Adam and Eve are in the garden, but it's not long before they disobey. They eat the fruit and a curse descends upon the earth. Ever since then, creation has been under a curse of sin and death and brokenness and pain, but God did not leave us there. Right from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, he promised that he was gonna send somebody to undo that curse, that somebody was gonna be born to crush the head of the serpent. And the whole Old Testament in your Bible is the story of God keeping that promise going. God says later on through the prophet Isaiah, he says, yes, somebody's gonna come and it's gonna be a child who is born. It's gonna be a son who's gonna be given. And his name is Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting God, Almighty Father, Prince of Peace. 
And 700 years after that promise, the child does come. The son is born. God kept his promise. That's why Jesus came. But God also made not just a cosmic promise. We also saw here in this text that God made an individual promise to an old man named Simeon. And God told Simeon, he said, hey, before you die, you're gonna see the one who's going to come and undo the curse, the the Messiah, the king who is coming to rescue my people. And so day in and day out, Simeon would go to the temple and he'd wait, just longing to see this promise fulfilled, just wondering, and you have to imagine what that must have been like for him day in and day out. The, The temple was a crowded place, people coming to pray, people coming to make sacrifices. There's beggars and there's priests and there's money changers. It's loud in the temple. And so for years, day after day after day, Simeon is there at the temple. He's watching and he's waiting. He sees hundreds, thousands of young couples bringing in their children to be dedicated to God. All these babies, so many babies. And day in and day out, you gotta believe Simeon's praying, God, what about that one? Could it be this one? Today, Lord? And then one day, the Holy Spirit whispers to Simeon, today's the day. Oh, can you imagine how fast he jumped out of bed? And he hustles to the temple and he gets there. And uh, ladies, remember when you're pregnant how everybody violates your bubble, like your personal space, you know? (laughs) Like, the things people say to pregnant women are astounding. We won't get into that today, but I'm sure we could all tell stories, right? And like, when you're pregnant, everybody wants to come up, they kind of like, rub your belly and stuff. It's like, this is very weird. Under no circumstances is that okay. And then it's even worse when you have the baby, right? And you have this cute little infant and you're in the checkout line at Costco and some random gym bob comes up and they're like, oh, she's so cute, can I hold her? And you know, everything in your mind is saying all kinds of things. Can you imagine what Mary must be feeling at the temple when this random old old man comes up and says, may I hold him? But Mary's a nicer person than I am, and so she says yes, and, and Simeon holds the baby. And for Simeon, all of a sudden, he's in a thin place. This, this is the one. God has kept his promise. He's done it. He's here. Behold the love of God. Jesus came to keep the promise. But that's not all. Simeon also tells us, what's this text tell us about Jesus? It also tells us that Jesus came to bring peace. Tells us Jesus came to bring peace. Because as if things couldn't get any weirder, Simeon picks up Mary's baby and then he starts to sing. He like makes up this song for the baby. And he sings and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Jesus brought peace to Simeon. Jesus gave Simeon the peace to now face death with confidence. One of the great privileges of getting to be in ministry is to get to sit beside saints as they enter into glory. Um, my, my grandpa lives down in Trafalgar and he's kind of been on a journey, a battle with cancer here for the last couple of years and several months ago he got some news that was not good and the next day, he was at my house and we were sitting at my dining table and he looked me in the eyes and he said, Luke, I wanna show you how to live in the face of death. I wanna show you how a Christian man dies. 
Don't ever forget that because Jesus came, you can have peace even in the face of death. Jesus gave peace to Simeon, the individual, but even on a broader scope than that, Simeon also says that Jesus came to bring peace to everybody. He says it's for the Jews and for the Gentiles, for all of us. He says Jesus came to bring God's salvation to all of us. Now, now the word often that the Old Testament Jews would use for this God's salvation, the peace that he's bringing, is the Hebrew word shalom. Can you say that with me? Say shalom. Shalom. Yeah, you got your Hebrew today. You're getting your money's worth, right? And, and it's this... Shalom is this deep inner peace where your soul just kind of exhales, like, ah, at last, all is right with the world. And Simeon says that Jesus came to bring that shalom to everybody. Uh, John Ortberg is a preacher who kind of uses his sanctified imagination to describe what the world might be like when it is ruled by the shalom that Jesus brings. Ortberg says this, he says that in a world of shalom, all marriages would be healthy and all children would be safe. Israeli and Palestinian children would play together on the West Bank, their parents would build homes for one another. In offices and boardrooms, executives would secretly scheme to help their colleagues succeed. They would compliment them behind their backs. Tabloids would be filled with accounts of courage and moral beauty. Talk shows would feature mothers and daughters who love one another deeply and men who secretly enjoy dressing as men. Disagreements would be settled with grace and civility. There would still be lawyers, perhaps, but they would have really useful jobs like delivering pizza, which would all be non-fat and low in cholesterol, right? He says doors would have no locks. Cars would have no alarms. Churches would never split. No father would ever say, I'm too busy to a disappointed child. Divorce courts and battered women's shelters would be turned into community recreation centers. No one would be lonely or afraid. People of different races would join hands. And every time one human being touched another, it would be to express encouragement, affection, and delight. Jesus came to bring that kind of heavenly peace, that kind of shalom to you, to me, to all who trust in him. And he's bringing a new creation when he returns. Behold the love of God. Yes, absolutely, praise God. Jesus came in poverty. He came to keep the law. He came to fulfill a promise. Jesus came to bring peace. But Simeon also says, Jesus came to bring pain. To bring pain. You know, Simeon's song that he sings here is not just some kind of holly jolly Christmas carol where he kind of takes the tinsel and the holiday cheer and he tries to cover over the distress of the world with some red and green wrapping paper. He's honest. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 33. It says, the, father's, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Doesn't feel very good to hear that. You know, when Jesus was born, the angels sang. They sang, peace on earth, goodwill to men, great good news of great joy that will be for all people, and yet, even though it is good news, it's only pleasant news for those who believe in Jesus, 
for those who follow him, for those who surrender to him. Because yes, the heavenly peace is for those of us who are with him. They will rise, Simeon said. But for those who reject Jesus, and most do, then Simeon says he's like a, he's like a rock that people will trip over and fall squarely on the judgment of God. The coming of Jesus is a difficult reminder that for those who reject him, they will experience eternal pain. On a cosmic scope, but also on an individual scope, Simeon says to Mary, he says, Mary, you're gonna feel pain too. A sword is going to pierce your soul. Mary, this baby that you love, that you have cared for, that you have trusted God for, you're gonna watch him grow up and become a man Jesus, and he's gonna be hated and mocked and despised and betrayed and arrested and beaten and crucified, executed in front of your own eyes. Simeon looks at Mary and he says, this is gonna hurt so bad. But that was part of the promise too. Isaiah also promised that as he brought peace, as he was a prince of peace, here's what's gonna happen to that prince of peace. Isaiah says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to bring pain and even to take that pain upon himself. Please understand that the cross was not an accident. Jesus was in control the whole time. Do you honestly think nails could have held Jesus on the cross? Of course not. Love held him on the cross. Look at the pain of God's one and only son and behold the love of God for you. So listen, if, if you only hear one thing I say today, um, I believe God wants to speak to you this morning. I won't pretend to know what it is, but I trust his Holy Spirit. And I believe that this can be a thin place for you, but maybe, maybe God just wants to remind you that he loves you and that, that Jesus came and lived a life of poverty and he came and fulfilled the law and he came to keep the promise and he came to bring peace and he came to live a life of pain and endure the agony of the cross and rise again so the tomb is still empty and ascend to heaven where he is right now reigning as king over the universe promising to fulfill everything and to come back and make all things new and he did it for the glory of God and the good of you because he loves you. I hope you know that. Absolutely, praise God. And he desires you to follow him, which leads us to our second question, right? We've spent this whole time answering the first question. What does this text tell us about Jesus? Now let's answer question number two. What does this text tell us about how to follow Jesus? What does this text tell us about how to follow Jesus? Three things, I think, and here's the first one. Wait patiently. Wait patiently. Maybe you've heard the one about the guy who was praying one time and he was just curious. And so he said, God, how much is a million dollars to you? God said, a penny? The guy said, well, God, how long is a million years to you? God said, one second. The guy thought he was being clever. So he said, hey, God, uh, could I have one of your pennies? <laughs> and God said, sure, just a second. <laughs> and <laughs> that's what it feels like sometimes, isn't it? Like waiting on God. It's like, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't understand the timing here. And yet part of following Jesus means waiting patiently. Luke chapter two, Simeon isn't the only one who'd been waiting for Jesus to come. Mary and Joseph, they meet somebody else too. Her name is Anna. Starting in verse 36, it says this. It says, there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. 
And she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So we see these two characters here in this story, Simeon and Anna. And Simeon and Anna, they're both elderly. They've both spent their whole lives waiting on God to, to keep his promise. They've been waiting for something. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Maybe you're waiting for something. Maybe you're waiting for somebody to love. Maybe you're waiting for clarity on a big decision. Maybe you're waiting for a bonus or a promotion. Maybe you're waiting to have kids or to have grandkids. Maybe you're waiting to retire. Maybe you're waiting for a wandering child to come home. Maybe you're waiting for anxiety to go away. Maybe you're waiting for love to heal that distant and cold marriage. Maybe you're waiting for that difficult person in your life to soften their heart. Maybe you're waiting for your body to stop betraying you and for you to be healed and whole again. What are you waiting for? If I gave you a notepad and asked what you wanted for Christmas this year, my guess is most of you could, could write something down pretty easy on it. If you would have given Simeon and Anna a notepad and said, what do, you, what do you want? What are you waiting for? They would have written down one thing. For God to keep his promise. For the deliverer, the Messiah, the king to come. What are you waiting for? Can you specifically articulate what it is that you wanna see God do in your life? What you are looking to him for? What are you waiting for? And will you get everything that you're waiting for? No, of course not. Not in this life. But you know, as we follow Jesus, the point of waiting is often not so much about what we're waiting for, but it's about who we're becoming as we wait. And I love this picture we get of that in the lives of Simeon and Anna. Which leads us to thing number two, that as you wait, as you wait patiently, thing number two that we learn about how to follow Jesus in this is that we serve faithfully. Even though they were waiting on God, Simeon and Anna didn't kind of spend their lives twiddling their thumbs, being idle. They devoted their lives to serving day in and day out. I love that the heroes of this story are these two, uh, shall we say, uh, more mature folks, you know? And I think that gives us a vision it gives us a vision for what this exit phase of your life is in as you're in your last season of life. I think the, there's, a, there's a little bit of a curse of this myth of American retirement that says, you know what, I'm gonna spend my final years, I've kind of earned the right to go down, sit on my stacks of cash in Florida and play golf, right? No, no offense to the snowbirds, but like God does have something bigger than for us to work our whole lives so that we can kick back in our lazy boy for the last 20 years. I love that Simeon and Anna are of the mindset that no, I have more wisdom than I've ever had, more money than I've ever had, more time and flexibility and freedom than I've ever had. I've walked with God so long that I'm gonna use this season of my life and I'm gonna leverage it for the good of the kingdom day in and day out to bless those around me and to look for what I wanna still see God do in the world. Man, oh, that God would raise up an older generation to think the same thing. What are you waiting for? Serve faithfully. 
And that's whatever season of life you're in. And there's a lot of places to serve here at the church, you know, rocking babies, teaching kids, going to camp, going on the mission trip, helping on the greeting team, whatever it is, finding ways to serve at home, going the extra mile for your spouse or for your, for your boss or for your coworkers or your employees or your kids or your grandkids or, or just looking at the, the passions and desires and experiences and abilities that God has given you and saying, okay, God, I can do this. How do you want me to use this for the good of your kingdom? And then if I can give a shameless plug here real quick, shameless plug, advertisement coming, right? Christmas Eve is coming up. Like Danielle just said, that's an incredible outreach opportunity for you as a church to reach out into the community. And it takes a lot of help to pull that off and to make this place a really welcoming environment so that when guests walk in here and get to hear the good news of how God sent his son for them, they feel the love of God here. It takes a lot of help. So if you'd be willing to take some time out of your Christmas to serve here on the Christmas Eve service, I know they would love that. You can text the word Christmas to 317-565-4911. If you text that word, we'll find you a place to plug in and serve here on Christmas Eve, serving on the greeting team, serving in the cafe, wherever it is, so that this can be a welcoming environment so that when people come here on Christmas Eve, they don't just hear that God loves them, but they feel that God loves them. Wait patiently, serve faithfully. Here's the last thing. Pray fervently. Pray fervently. The gospel writer Luke here, he tells us that Simeon was listening to the Holy Spirit, that Anna had spent her days fasting and praying in the temple. Man, if you wanna see God work, if you wanna encounter those thin places in your life, wait patiently, serve faithfully, and pray fervently. One more story, then I'm done, okay? One story. Uh, This is the true story that one author tells about two men. They were friends. Their names were Doug and Bob. And and Doug, he runs a ministry in Washington, D.C. But Bob is an insurance salesman. And Bob was a brand new Christian. And one day, Bob had kind of just started reading the Bible. And he, he read in the Bible. And he got really excited when he read that Jesus said, Ask whatever you will in my name, and you shall receive it. Pretty cool promise from Jesus, and so I'll let the author take it from here. Bob demanded to know, is, is that really true? And so Doug explained to him, well, you know, it's not like a, not a blank check. You have to take it in the context of the whole teachings of Scripture on prayer, but like, yeah, it is really true. God does answer prayer. Well, great, Bob said. I, I gotta start praying for something. Um, I think I'll pray for Africa. Well, Doug said, that's Kind of a broad target. Why don't you narrow it down a little bit, you know? How about one country? Bob said, okay, I'll pray for Kenya. Doug said, do you, do you know anybody in Kenya? No. Ever been to Kenya? Mm, no. Bob just like wanted to pray for Kenya. And, and so Doug actually made an unusual arrangement with Bob. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. And if Bob would do that, if he'd pray every day for six months for Kenya and nothing extraordinary happened, then Doug would pay Bob $500. But if something remarkable did happen, then Bob would have to pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day for six months, then the whole deal was off. And so Bob took the deal and he started to pray. And for a long while, praying day in and day out for Kenya, nothing happened. But then one night, Bob was at a dinner in Washington, D.C., and the people around the table were kind of explaining what they did for a living. And one woman at the table said that she ran the largest orphanage in Kenya. And Bob kind of saw $500 sprout wings and fly away, you know? <laughs> but, but, but he couldn't help it. He couldn't help it. And so Bob started to 
kind of ask her questions and he just kind of roared to life all of a sudden. He'd been quiet up to that point, but now he kind of hit her relentlessly with question after question and the lady was a little taken aback. She said, you're obviously very interested in my country. She's overwhelmed by this barrage of questions. She said, have you been to Kenya before? Bob said, no. Do you know anybody in Kenya? No. Well, then why, why do you happen to be so curious? Bob said, well, Somebody's kind of like paying me $500 to, to, to pray. And she asked Bob if he would actually like to come over to Kenya to take a tour of the orphanage. And Bob was so eager to say yes, he would have left that very night if he could have. And so Bob takes the trip. And when Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled at the poverty and the lack of basic health care that he saw all around him. And upon returning to Washington, D.C., Bob just could not get this place out of his mind. So he began to write letters to large pharmaceutical companies and describe to them the vast need that he had seen at this orphanage in Kenya. He reminded these pharmaceutical companies that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. And so Bob asked these companies, why not send those supplies to this place in Kenya? And some of them did. The orphanage received more than a million dollars of free medical supplies. And so the woman at the orphanage, she called Bob back up and she said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts and opportunities because of these letters that you wrote. We'd like to fly you back over and have a big party to celebrate. Will you come? And so Bob flies back over to Kenya. And while he was there, no joke, the president of Kenya came to the celebration. And because it was the largest orphanage of the country, and, and while they're there, they get to talking, and the president of Kenya offered to take Bob on a tour of the capital city, Nairobi. And in the course of the tour of the capital, they go to a prison, and they're touring a prison, and Bob asks about a particular group of prisoners there. And he was told, well, they're political prisoners. And so Bob said, brightly, that's a bad idea. You should let them out. <laughs> then Bob finished his tour, and he flew back home to the U.S., well, sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. <laughs> Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him he should let him out. <laughs> the State Department official went on to explain that the department had been working for years to get the release of those particular political prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had all led to a dead end, but now the prisoners had been released. And the State Department had been told that it was largely because of Bob. <laughs> and so the US government was calling to say thanks. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's not over yet. Several months later, the president of Kenya makes a phone call to Bob. And he says, hey, I'm going to rearrange my government and select a new cabinet. Would you be willing to fly over and pray for me for three days while I work on this very important task? And so Bob, an insurance salesman who was not politically connected at all, boarded a plane and flew back to Kenya where he prayed and he asked God to grant wisdom to the leader of a nation as he selected his government. <laughs> whatever it is you're waiting for whatever it is you're wanting and you're longing for whatever it is that you are wanting to see Jesus do in your life 
Wait patiently. Serve faithfully. And pray. Pray fervently. And I'm pretty sure God will take you to a thin place. So actually, as, as I prepare to leave here, Kingsway, and I'm gonna head back down Dan Jones Road and go back to Plainfield Christian Church, could I leave you with a challenge? I wanna make you the Bob challenge. I want you to pick something to pray for. Whatever it is you're wanting to see God do in your life, a, a thing or, or a place or an activity or a calling or one particular person in your life, pick one thing, one thing that the Lord lays on your heart to pray for. And I want you to pray for it every day. Pray fervently for that one thing every day for six months. And if nothing extraordinary happens, then Matt Nickerson will give you $500. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Hey, he won't and I won't either for the record, but, but, but. As you wait patiently and serve faithfully and pray fervently, I believe that you will see God work in your life, that he will take you to a thin place. And when he does, I want you to tell me about it, okay? We get to come to this time in the service together that we do every week called communion. I hope you received the elements when you walked in. And this is a thin place we get to experience together as the family of God. Scripture tells us that Jesus is uniquely present with us. He's here in this particular moment as we receive this little piece of styrofoam bread that reminds us of his body nailed to the cross. And we drink this little shot of Welch's grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was spilled to wash us clean in the sight of God so that we could be together with each other and with him. And so I'm gonna pray and then there'll be some instructions on the screen and you can receive communion on your own. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we love you. You're so kind to us. You're good. And Jesus, we thank you for fulfilling the law when we could not. We thank you that you have given us peace, peace with God, peace with one another and that you went through pain to do it. And so for my brothers and sisters here in the room, I'm asking that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable them with the faithfulness and the perseverance to wait patiently on you, that you'd make your calling on their life specific and that you'd show them exactly where and how you want them to serve and that they would serve faithfully day in and day out. And we will continue to pray fervently, Lord, because we wanna see you at work. I'm thankful for how you're at work here in this church. We love you. We're so thankful for your son. It's in his name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen.